And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Wednesday night in the Mile High City. He's James Marillat. I'm Will Peterson. We're going to roll with you for the next 90 minutes. Little bonus DST as DMAC looks for his headphones. You're wearing them. No, I'm not. Am I? Take them off for a second. Watch. Oh, my gosh. We got some drama, James. Take them off. Man, studio drama. Hold on. Yeah, you're right, because I see mine sitting right there. All right, James, I'm going to need you to talk for a second. Okay. Mac and I switch out headphones here. I will let you guys go ahead and, uh, and take care of that. I Sorry, will, uh, D-Mac. D-Mac My bad. Hey, and you know what? what's funny about this, Oh, Will, man, what a good start to the show, James. I stole D-Mac's is that, headphones. Is that when you come in there, and I don't know if D-Mac does this for everybody. I've only seen it for you because when I'm on the show after uh, the drive, it's transitioning in, in the chair from D-Mac to you. He takes out the Clorox wipes and disinfects that seat and the table and everything like, you know, it's the second day of COVID and we think we have to, de- you know, we have to sterilize our groceries. I don't know what's going on. So the fact that you were wearing his headphones probably didn't go over particularly well. Yeah. Well, and the, the Clorox thing, just to clarify, he's only done that this week because he was sick as a dog okay. uh, the, the end of last week and over the weekend. So, oh, okay. well, so he's I, getting I, better. I but as a knock, he was being nice. Yeah, he's being a good teammate, right? Being a very good teammate, but you you just put on his headphones and he's been sick as a dog. So best of luck to you in the next 48 hours, Will. We, we transferring diseases through hair follicles now? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. None of us know how any of that happens anymore. It was funny, too, because he's, like, losing his mind. And I'm like, these are my headphones, I swear. And then mine are sitting across from me where I sat to talk to him in Orlando during the last segment of the drive. And it was, oh, yeah, those are mine. I'm wearing D-Max headphones. I was in the wrong. He was in the right. Did you bring yours in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have your own? Like, you take them home with you tonight? Yeah, I bought them off Amazon for, like, 85 bucks when I started this job. Okay. All right. I do I do as well. I just was, you know, that's kind of the, the, the norm. I just didn't know what you were doing there. Well, why, why, why would I want to use communal headphones? That's kind of gross. I think it's completely gross. That's why I don't. But there are those who do, and I will not name them. Okay. No, I have my own headphones for my own ears. <laughs> We've got it resolved, though. We're good, right? He's yeah. got his. You've got yours. Everybody's fine. DMAC has ventured on out of here, James. Right. It's just you and I for the next hour and a half yep. uh, before I was interrupted. I was saying I, I deserve to be interrupted, but we are going to go till 730, take you up to Lakers and Warriors game five back in Golden State. Uh, James, let's hit on some news real quick. And then we'll get into uh, Game 5 last night, Nuggets and Suns. Uh, in the last five minutes, we have learned that Chris Paul is listed as out for Game 6. He missed Games 3, 4, and 5. And then there's another one that actually needs to be on our radar. DeAndre Ayton has a rib contusion, and he is being listed as questionable. Well, okay, let's take him one at a time. The, the, the Suns have been better, especially in Phoenix, without Chris Paul. They were fine in Phoenix. They won both games. In Denver, look, that would be a bigger issue. If you're a Suns fan, that would be a bit bigger issue for Game 7, right? Because he once he left in Game 2, the Suns fell apart in Denver. He didn't play last night, Game 5 in Denver, and the Suns got blown out. So I do think kind of the veteran point guard, keep everything on track, you know, work the officials, get some of those calls to go your way kind of thing is more beneficial for them if it goes to a Game 7. I don't know that it matters all that much for them tomorrow because Phoenix was, uh, you could make the argument, they were better without him in Games 3 and 4. So it's a big name. I don't know it's huge for tomorrow. I think if he's back for Game 7, that adds an element of intrigue to Sunday that let's all hope we don't have to see. DeAndre Ayton, man, that guy has been just non-existent. Like, he can roll in in his leather pants and his leather jacket and look like a star, but he certainly hasn't played like it. Like, tell me the moment DeAndre Ayton had last night. He's a total non-factor, Will. Well, the only thing I'll give you pushback on is Jock Landle was very good in the games down in Phoenix, right? He was a non-factor last night. I can't can't think of the play Jock Landle made. Fine. So, let's be honest. DeAndre Ayton's a better player than Landle. He should be. James, if he's out tomorrow night... They're going to ask Landel to play 30, 35 minutes. I'm not so sure he's ready for that role. I think this is a pretty big deal for the Nuggets that Aiton's all of a sudden on the injury report. I do. Yeah, you know what? And look, I pull up the box score. DeAndre Aiton, take a guess how many points he had last night. Uh, I had him on the under uh, in a little action. 
I'm going to guess like 12, maybe. Okay, at 14. 14? I would have said four. Like, I remember making a couple little, like, bunny jumpers, like, from four feet away in the, in, in, in the middle of the key. He had 14 and nine last night. That's not a bad performance from your center in today's NBA. Like, we're all kind of used to Jokic, and we compare him to Embiid, but those are the, the two best bigs in the league. Most most centers don't play like that, so 14-9 and nine is actually a pretty good game. A very non-impactful 14-9, and nine though, so you're probably right. Like, if you're asking your backup to come in and play more minutes than just, you know, hey, go out and give us 15 that aren't a disaster, that could set up to be trouble. It's a uh, It sets up for a good Jokic night because if Landale gets in foul trouble, who on earth did they go into at that point? Uh, that Biombo guy, right? He played a little bit in round one. Bismack okay. Biombo. Okay. Uh, we have not seen him in round two, but you're right. Like, Jokic is going to cook Jock Landle, and he's going to cook Big- Bismack Biombo. So, while Aiton has been underwhelming, and I know he got booed in game three and all of that, I still think the Suns, if they're missing him and Chris Paul, James, before this series we said, well, the Suns have four really good players, and two of the four we were naming yeah. were Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. There's now a chance they have neither for game six. Well, and, and, and I think over the long term, Right, it's it's if you played it out over eighty two games, obviously that would be a bad situation for the Suns. In a in a one off or even you know a couple of games here and there, it does give the Nuggets a little bit of a a, a trick to figure out though, because you don't know what the Suns are going to do. You don't know how to game plan for it. If you know it's going to be Chris Paul, you know it's going to be DeAndre Ayton. You know they're going to get their minutes. They're the high paid guys. They're the stars. They're going to get thirty minutes unless they get into foul trouble. You can game plan for it. There is that little bit of, I get it, you're going to somebody that's worse, but it's a complete mystery. In one game, that can throw you off because you can't figure it out. Two games, you start to kind of dial it in. And again, over the course of a series or over the course of a season, you would definitely have uh, have it decoded. It's a little bit of a mystery tomorrow. That probably is not a bad thing for the Nuggets, but it's not a total non-concern in my mind, Will. Yeah, that makes sense. We'll keep you posted. Again, Chris Paul officially out for Game 6. DeAndre Ayton is questionable as we tip off here in Game 6 in about 26 hours. The other piece of news that's come down in the last hour or so, James, is that Nikola Jokic has been snubbed again. He is on the All-NBA second team. It's the first time in three years he has not made the All-NBA first team. Uh, it goes to Joel Embiid, which I guess isn't a surprise, obviously, because Embiid won the MVP. But to put Jokic on a second team, which I know they have to do it by position, I get it. By the way, that's changing next year. Yeah, That is changing next year, which is good. But as we sit here tonight, James, with their silly rules of this season, you're you're trying to tell me if you're the NBA that Nikola Jokic isn't one of your five best players? That's an absolute freaking joke that Nikola Jokic lands on the second team as announced an hour ago on TNT. Yeah, but they're not saying he's not one of the five best players. They're saying he's the second best center. Well, they're saying their rules suck then. Well, I, I like I like the way they do it. Oh. it. It's a center. It's two forwards. It's two guards. You're putting together teams. It's all NBA first team, second team, third team. It just so happens that this year the two best players are both centers. So you're not you know you're not going to be able to both be on there. But I mean, how many years was it where you know I don't know Clyde Drexler and Michael Jordan were both the, the the maybe the two best players in the league, but you can't have two shooting guards. Like that's just the way it goes. Like to take this as a snub, he's the second best center in the league this year. That's what the voters determined. That's what the MVP told us. Is it weird that the second best player in the league isn't first team All NBA? No. Not when you go by position. Well, he's he the first the same he, position as the number one guy. But he's the first best player in the league. Well, so, so the best player on earth is on the second team. That's, that's where I have a argument. problem with this. That's a different argument. Now we're going back to whether or not he should have won MVP, which you and I both agree he should have. I think we've seen in the three games since he got snubbed for the MVP, he's gone out and made a a point. I think the two candidates are on in you know a, a, a collision course here. We're going to see Nugget Sixers. That's what it's oh, going to turn call, out to be. Calling your shot, okay. Which is must-see TV. The NBA is going to love that. Jokic versus Embiid for seven games. I mean, that is great theater. Unfortunately, the Nuggets decided to take the last two weeks off, so they'll, they won't have home court advantage for that series. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But, like, look, he's the second-best center in the league this year. Like, it's not a snub to be second-team All-NBA. You're the second-best center. It's just the way it goes. It, it, I, I wish they would stick to positions. I don't like positionless basketball. Would you want it to be, 
hey, in the NFL, uh, first-team All-Pro is just the 11 best offensive guys. And you put 11 quarterbacks on there? Like, that'd be silly. Little apples and oranges because no. you— No, because, James, Jokic has invented positionless basketball. Like, he is the definition of positionless basketball. He He's a point guard at times. He's a small forward at times. He's a center at times. Like, he truly can play any of the five positions. So he actually has the best case of anyone that it's a joke that he's not first-team All-NBA. First of all, I think the Warriors invented positionless basketball more than Jokic did. But he's also he's six eleven, he's seven foot tall, whatever. He's he's a center, he's down low more than he's not. He rebounds like he does because of his height and because of his his uh his position as a center. Like I get it, it's fashionable to say in today's NBA that it's positionless basketball, but it's not. In the last two years, you are you telling me Joel Embiid in the last two years wasn't one of the be- five best players in the NBA? Mm, he's a good scorer. Yeah. He finished second in MVP. And you know where he finished on the All-NBA? Second team. Okay, but I'd rather have Giannis. I'd rather have Steph. <laughs> but it's a different argument. I'd rather like have LeBron James. The second best James. player in the league the last three years has been second best, has been All-NBA second team. He has. They played the same position. But, but again, that's not Joel Embiid's fault. That's the NBA's fault for having these silly rules. Well, and that's why they're getting rid of it. They will it's change it. reaction to a current situation that it won't happen again for 30 years. They will change it next year, which is the right call in my book. Great. They'll have five guards for, you know, 20 years. That'll be that'll be awesome. That'll well, be really no. fair. We'll be, we'll be sitting here complaining about the fact of, like, well, you're putting a bunch of guards on because they get more chances to score. And look at, you know, current 11th grader who in eight years will be a good center, and we're say, sitting here saying, yeah, I know he only gets 18 a, a points a game, but he averages 17 rebounds. Like, he should be first-team NBA, NBA, and I'll be like, well, but it's positionless. It's going to come back and bite him. So, you know, you're going to get your way, Will, but you're going to regret it. You're going to rue the day. Well, he'll be all NBA first-team for the rest of his career. Nikola Jokic will be with this change because it's just yeah. saying he's one of the top five sure. best players in basketball the rest sure. of his career. Yeah. But it's a different conversation. Like, I, you know, I think – you, me, the listening audience, good basketball fans can look at it and say, "Well, if you're on this, if you're on All NBA second team, that means you're at six through ten in terms of the best players in the league." Like, come on, we're not that silly. If it was Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas back in the day, and Magic kept getting first team All NBA and Isaiah kept getting second, does that mean Isaiah wasn't one of the top five players in the league, or he's just the second best point guard? Well, you're making my point. They should have fixed this 25 years ago, <laughs> right? Like. Regardless, yeah, there were so few centers that were worth a hoot. There wouldn't have been a center on there for like a decade. All right, you want me to go through the first and second team real quick? Yeah. All right. Let's so, see. Let's see who was the big snub, the big slight. Well, there, there, there's one guy who it's a joke. He's first team, and Nikola Jokic is not. Okay. okay. And that's Shea Gilgis Alexander. He led the league in scoring by the like N- two. by the NBA's metric SGA on the what the ten seeded Thunder is a better player than Nikola Jokic tonight. That's a joke. That's okay, just a joke, well, James. Listen, if the Nuggets don't win a title, I put forth my trade, and I was going to send Jokic to the Thunder, and SGA was part of the group I wanted coming back. SGA is a great player, a great player. You wouldn't take that guy on your team? James, that looks even crazier after the 10 playoff games we've watched. No, I wouldn't trade Nikola Jokic for anyone. No, it anyone. There, there were people hitting me up yesterday saying, all right, what would you trade Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. for? Like, if this team doesn't go to the finals – it is time to start looking at, hey, do you break them up? Come on, SGA is a really good player. What but, do you but, but James, they won, points a game? they won by 16 last night and should have won by 25. Like, how, how are we even discussing that at the at this juncture? He's a great 615 player. 615 on May 10th. We can't say SGA is not a great player. Did, I, I don't have it in front of me. Where did he finish in scoring in the league? He's in the top five. Uh, I will take a look. I'll, I'll go ahead and read you the rest of this team, though. Uh, Luka, do that while I, while I effort this number here to make my case. Luka Doncic. Didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> uh, and then the other. Okay, th- wait a minute. Wait a minute. So are you telling me that Luca doesn't deserve to be on the first team All NBA? Mm, he's a good individual player, but man, to not even get top ten in your conference to be a lottery team. Would you take him on your team? Would you take him on the Nuggets? Of course, I would take him on the Nuggets. Okay. All right. He's a great player. Uh, and then the other three all deserving: Giannis, Joel Embiid, and Jason Tatum. <laughs> okay, so your two knocks were Luca and SGA. Like it kind of makes my point. Like both those guys are great players. Like they didn't put somebody that just doesn't belong, and they left off Jokic because they couldn't put two centers. By the way, uh, Joel Embiid led led the NBA in scoring at thirty three point one points per game. Where was SGA? 
KJ's my research guy. I'm going to have to get him looking there. I guarantee that. you he's in the top five. All right, but you said he led the league in scoring. Well, so he, he did for most of the year. Well, he was number four is what I'm okay, being told. And, okay, so what was the numbers? KJ, what was what were the numbers? What did what did Embiid average and what did SGA average? Uh, Embiid in 33-1 and SGA 31-4. <laughs> he averaged more than 30 points a game. Well, come on. All right, here's, you can't be knocking him too bad. Like, do I think Jokic is a better player? Of course I do. Am I biased because I live here and I watch him play 82 games a year? Of course I am. I think if you and I sat down and we said, listen, we're going to be Thunder, fan this, Thunder fans this year and we're going to watch every Oklahoma City game, we would probably have a little bit of a different take on this because that guy was outstanding. It's not like they put a guy on there that was averaging 21 points, six rebounds and three assists because they had to have another shooting guard. But See, that, that, That's all I'm getting at. It's, it's not as though they... They had to force it because of they, they had to go by position. It's still a really darn good basketball player that's certainly w- worthy of being All-NBA. So is Luka. Come on now. All right, let's get into the second team. Uh, Steph Curry's on the second team. So okay, so apparently right there, it S- it's not an insult. Apparently SGA is a better player than Steph Curry. That's Who would you take right now? Breaking to Steph Curry, 100%. Mm, okay, all right. I mean, uh, it depends. It, uh, for for. A season, I'm probably with you for the next 10 years. It's a different conversation, but okay. Donovan Mitchell makes great the second player. team. Jimmy Butler and Jalen Brown are on the second team. Two great players. Jimmy Butler's arguably been the best player in the playoffs. He's got a, the what are they, the eight seed about to head to the conference finals? Yeah, it's looking that way for sure. I mean, Jimmy Butler, if you had to win one game tonight, Will, and you were drafting from every NBA player available, how far down the list would you have to be? What pick would you have to be before you're like, oh, I'm taking Jimmy Butler? Uh, he, he'd be in the top ten, for sure. Top ten? Who are you taking ahead of him? Uh, the Joker, Giannis, Steph, really? LeBron, Giannis Anthony Davis. from the foul line in a, in a game that got him eliminated? James, he didn't play in two and a half of the five games against the Heat. That wasn't I on him. It, but in game five, how many free throws did he miss in a game that went to overtime or went down to the final second? Like, Jimmy Butler is... A great, great uh, – my point, what I'm getting at, is being second-team All-NBA is not some slight. It's Steph Curry, who is arguably the best point guard in the history of the league. You can make the argument Steph Curry's the best point guard. He's ahead of Magic Johnson. It's a different kind of player, but you can make the argument. Jimmy Butler is arguably the best postseason player going right now in their second team All-NBA. It's not a slight. All right, what's the rest of the team? Uh, You are fiery tonight. I like it. And uh, (laughs) in the third team, just let me read the whole team before you react, okay? Okay, all right. De'Aaron Fox and Damian Lillard, LeBron James and Julius Randle, and uh, DeMontis Sabonis from the Sacramento Kings. All right, give me the second team again. See, when I don't get to interrupt, I don't know where we're at. (laughs) Give me the full second team. Well, I just gave you the full third team, so now you want the full second team? Yeah, give me the second team again. Steph Curry... Great player. Donovan Mitchell. Great player. Jimmy Butler. Great player. Jalen Brown. Great player. Nikola Jokic. Great player. All right, no slight in that. Third team one more time. <laughs> De'Aaron Fox. Awesome player. He got his team to the number two seed. The three seed, but yes. You're right. Okay, third seed. Damian Lillard. Okay, awesome player. Take him here in a heartbeat. LeBron James. LeBron James is third team. Okay, all right. Julius Randle. Okay, nah. Now you're starting to get to where it's like, all right, you got to plug someone in there. Good, good player. Would you call Julius Randle a great player? No, I wouldn't either. And Demontis Sabonis. Okay, so my my point on this will is, I get what you're saying. Like it makes it look like he's, you know, in group six through ten. He's not. He's just the second best center this year. That's just the reality of it. If they were putting Julius Randle on first team All NBA because they had to have a power forward. I think it makes it a little bit better argument for the you need to go positionless. The top five guys, the top ten guys, you could have put anybody from that group on first team, and it, it, I don't think there's an argument to, to be made that they weren't worthy of it. I, I hear you on that. I, I get what you're saying on that, and I do have a little bit of trivia for you. Okay. Jokic was first team All-NBA the last couple of years, right? Yep. He was also first NBA team in 2018-2019. So this okay. now means three of the last five years he's been first team All-NBA. He didn't get to get it this year thanks to Joel Embiid. He did not get it in 2019-2020. He was second team. Who beat him out that year for the first team spot? 
so it had to be a center, right? Because we're getting back into this position conversation. You are and correct. It, it wasn't Embiid, otherwise you wouldn't be asking me, right? Correct. Uh, was it Anthony Davis? It was Anthony Davis, which okay. ironically, James, that was the season, and I know it was a quirky season because of the, the pandemic and the delay and the bubble and all that, but that was also the season that Anthony Davis hit the buzzer beater against Jokic and the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, and, and look, I totally get your point that he's second-team All-NBA, and that seems like, like he's the second-best player in the league at worst, and that seems like a slight. I, I totally understand that. I just think one of the things that gets lost in all these types of conversations, including the MVP debate, like Joel Embiid is an unbelievably good basketball player. Uh, I heard you in Stoke last week talking to Matt Moore, and I thought he summed it up well. And I, I've said this before, that Joel Embiid is an unbelievably good scorer. I, I'm not so sure he's an unbelievably good basketball player. Uh, come on. If, if you were starting a team and you, you, you were picking, again, going to my Jimmy Butler argument, right? You, you were starting a team. How far down the list is, is Joel Embiid? Well, James, I have to factor in that the guy cares more about individual awards than anything else. Like it's fine. Like I have to factor in his personality, which obviously turns me off tremendously, and it turns a lot of basketball fans off, particularly in this city. So if, if they were starting a bubble in July and the winning team won a billion dollars and you were the general manager, Who's your first pick, Jokic? Absolutely. Nikola Jokic, number one overall, overall pick, especially with what he's done in the last 10 games. I mean, James, he's breaking Will Chamberlain's records every night. He's doing okay. stuff that, that Oscar Robinson was the only other guy to do. He's right. leading this series in rebounds, assists, and points. If you watched a broadcast, you'd think he's third because the announcers have to slobber all over themselves about Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, <laughs> and Jokic is leading in points. Yeah, and, and you know, and I know both of them were hurt, but I did when you went through those those three teams, did we hear Kevin Durant or Devin Booker on either of those three teams? Neither made the top three all NBA teams. And, you know, Kevin Durant was banged up a lot and he he moved teams. So I'm not saying he should have made it, but like that's how hard it is to make one of these teams. We've been watching these two guys for five games. They're unbelievable players, and they couldn't crack the top three teams in all NBA. Well, KD only played 47 and Booker only played 53. I get it, but they're unbelievably good players. So you remember when, when Stokely and Zach did their, you know, Bronco draft and they tried to come up with their top five guys. Oh, and that caused a lot of hubbub. Yeah. So you and I on this show at some point, we're going to do our, we're playing for a billion dollars in July and you got to put together your roster. You can go Jokic if you want over uh, number one overall. I'm happy to take Embiid number two, and we'll just see how the chips fall after that. That's cool. I'll take Giannis three, and we'll beat you in four. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's fine with me, man. I'll just foul him. You can miss free throw after free throw. Oh, man. Fun. Just saying, like, it, it, just, it turns into a little bit of a silly conversation because they're all great players. It's a very tough group to kind of crack, right? And there's zero shame in being a second-team All-NBA player. He's been at three out of the last five years. The other two years, he's been second-team. That's a testament to what a great player he's been, because find me a guy in Nuggets history who's ever done that. You can't. Well, the last guy to make an All-NBA team before Nikola Jokic was Carmelo Anthony, who wore a Nuggets uniform. Was he? And he Did he ever get higher than third? I believe he was a second-teamer in 08-09. Okay, so one time, though. And then do you know who it was before that? This is some way-back trivia. Uh, well, Alex had to make a first, second, or third team, right? But there was someone in between. In between Alex English? Oh, it had to be Matumbo. Nope. Really? Not the most recent, but before Mello. Uh, well, yeah, Matumbo would have been early to mid-90s. So, gosh, somebody, or, or, were we talking early 2000s? It was Antonio McDice. Okay. Yeah. And Antonio McDice was a good player, but certainly not a, a great player by any means. But, man, making it first or second team five years in a row, for this franchise is that is uncharted waters. You're 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 going into a realm that nobody has ever been in. So let's not uh, let's not be offended by it. Let's be let, let's take it for what it uh, the accomplishment that it is. All right, we'll get to the game on the other side. But I want to read this real quick on the Ramoslaw.com text line three zero three seven one three one zero four three. This is from the nine two three seven James. Will taking D Max headphones is like Ishbia taking the ball from Joker. <laughs> Well, D-Mac kind of acted. Did D-Mac act more like Jokic or Ishbia? Uh, he acted like Jokic. He tried to rip those things off my head, man. Yeah, he was coming after you. Yeah. So, um, 
that's a very good comparison. That is a good, like, you know, tie it into uh, uh, recent news. That is very well done on the text line. Yeah, as DMAC drives home in the rain, once again, my <laughs> my apologies for claiming these were my headphones as my actual headphones sat five feet away from me. All right, on the other side, a great, exciting, thrilling win at Ball Arena last night, a third quarter to remember. We'll dissect all of it next. It was an exciting night last night at Ball Arena. No other way to slice it. Nuggets in one of the biggest games literally in the history of the franchise. And I know that sounds hyperbolic because it's only the second round, but look at what the win did. It launched them into favorites to win the NBA title, according to the odds makers. He's James Merrillat. I'm Will Peterson. We're going to hang with you until 730 tonight. A little bonus coverage. James, I know the vibes were sketchy after the second quarter. They were. The Nuggets were up three, but there was a weird tension in the arena. The bench blew a big lead in the first half. And I got to admit, I was nervous going into that third quarter. And boy, did the Nuggets answer the bell in a big way, outscoring Phoenix 39-25 and taking control of a game they simply had to have. Yeah, you were. it was right for you to be nervous. Look, the Nuggets starters were great in the first half. They were great in the second half. The bench was an issue. Now, they had such a big lead after three quarters that it didn't really matter. But it had the it put them in the position where had the Nuggets starters come out and struggled to start the third quarter, or had the Suns come out and been hot to start the third quarter, that game could have gone either way. Absolutely. So, so I think to dismiss how poor the the Nuggets backups played in the second quarter, how they allowed the the Suns to get back in the game, I think we would be we would be remiss if we just discounted that and say, well, hey, they won by 16 anyway, so all is good. I think it was a tactical error. I think it was one that nearly blew up in the Nuggets' face, and they got away with it. But just because you get away with something, Will, doesn't mean you should continue to do it. And I, I think that I think the Nuggets, kind of like in Game Two, I think they dodged a bit of a bullet last night. Because they let the Suns back in it, and the Suns didn't take advantage of it. Part of that's on the Nuggets, right? They played great. The starters played great to start the second half. Part of that's on the Suns. But I I, I think to just say, hey, all is well, that's the formula, stick with it, I think would be be kind of missing the point. Okay, a lot lot to dive into here. And I, I respect your point on that of, hey, what happened at the end of the first half was not acceptable. The The second quarter, they could have been up 20 at halftime, and they were only up three. I get all that, James. But at the same time, to me, these are the grown-up nuggets that we're watching before our eyes. Because even in the Jokic era, in the last three, four years, we've seen them do that and then come out in the third quarter and get outscored by 10 and lose the game by five, sure. all because one little bad stretch took them off the rails. So, I, I again, I'm not ignoring what you're saying. You're making valid points, believe me. But I'm also like, man, James, my dad called me today. He's, he's out of town. But he said, he said, give me the summary of what happened. And I said the Nuggets grew up before our eyes in the third quarter. That's what it felt like to me of like we have finally turned a, a page. These are no longer the baby Nuggets. They're no longer the teenager Nuggets. The adult Denver Nuggets showed up in the third quarter last night, smacked Phoenix in the mouth, and took care of business. No, I, I think that's a good point. Of Look, am I being a little bit of a fatalistic Nuggets fan who's been watching this team for four decades and has just become used to the fact of, hey, we're going to look back at the end and find that one stretch and say, man, if they hadn't done that, they would have won this game or that game and would have advanced and what could have been. Yeah, we're conditioned to be that way. And you're 100% right. Like, that was the kind of stretch, Will, that in past years with past Nuggets teams throughout their history, that would have turned into a loss. Where it was like, hey, you you had a chance to be up 20 at half at home. You let the opposition back in, and then Kevin Durant and Devin Booker beat you in the second half. Like, who raise your hand if you were thinking that narrative at halftime. I think anybody who's being honest about it was or was at least considering it. So... The fact that they didn't go down that path, they didn't fall into that trap, they didn't do what they you know, normally have done in the history of the franchise, you're right. They deserve a ton of credit for that. That's being a grown-up team that's showing championship medal. That's showing that this group is different than the rest of them. But you still have to avoid putting yourself in that position. And the reason I bring it up is, okay, that, that's fine. You escape with, with some tactical mistakes against Minnesota. You get away with a couple tactical mistakes against Phoenix. 
are you going to get away with those against the Lakers or the Warriors? Are you going to get away with those against the Celtics or the Sixers if you don't have home court advantage? As you go down the road, those problems become more problematic and you have less chance of getting away with it. So, listen, I'm looking out the front window and just trying to tell you, hey, there's a road closure ahead. If people don't want to look at it and want to say, hey, I don't see any brake lights and I'm driving 75 miles an hour, that's fine. But at some point, you gotta, you gotta, you got to deal with what's coming down the road. All right, well, let's dive into that because what went so wrong late first quarter and, and frankly, the whole second quarter, the Nuggets looked terrible that entire quarter. I, I know where you're going with this, and I, I said the same thing. I tweeted last night, hey, Hinton, you're going to make rot- rotational changes and then not make any rotational changes is certainly a decision. And that's what Michael Malone did. They were up 14, and rather than, hey, we're up 14, I can afford to tinker with this and put in Peyton Watson because if it's a total disaster, we're going to be up five, six, seven points, whatever. He just rolls with the Jeff Green, Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, the Crayola crew, and that lead just evaporates. Boom, like that. I assume that's what you're talking about. And in the first half, it hurt him. But in the second half, Bruce Brown was arguably the best player on the court. He was awesome. So it worked in the second half. It didn't work in the first. How much are we frustrated that a change wasn't made when Michael Malone hinted at a change versus how much did he get validated because Bruce Brown had a big, big second half, ended up with 25 points? Well, I don't think any of us talked about not having Bruce Brown in the rotation. We didn't. But but those three are kind of lumped together, right? Yeah, okay, it's the Crayola crew, but we talked about, hey, play Peyton Watson some minutes instead of Jeff Green, put him on Kevin Durant, make him work. We talked about put in Reggie Jackson, give him some Christian Brown uh, uh, minutes, make him make Devin Booker work, let him ring the ball up the court, give Jamal Murray a little bit of a break. Like, those were the two guys we talked about. And I, again, nobody said put Bruce Brown on the on the bench. Quite the contrary. So I, I think the fact that he that Michael Malone did nothing and the Nuggets win, it doesn't validate the fact that doing nothing was the right move. Like, uh, you know, okay, hey, you would have won by 30 instead of 16. People will say, oh, well, okay, you're being greedy. No, it never should have got close. Like, the way they played in the first quarter – if you make the right strategic moves, you know, into the second quarter, you have that same lead at halftime and you coast the entire time. People will hear that and they'll say, well, they won anyway. They won going away anyway. What's the problem? Again, you don't have a plan that you can replicate down the road, whether it's game six against the Suns, game seven against the Suns, or into the next series. It's just doing the same exact thing that's got you to 3-2. If you do the exact same thing in game six, Tomorrow night, are they going to win in Phoenix, or are we going to be coming back here on Sunday and it's a coin flip to see who advances? That's my worry because they did not find a solution. They just reinforced what the problem was, and it was those two guys. Okay, okay, I, I buy that. And I believe me, I think if it's just the, hey, we're going to play the same eight guys in Phoenix tomorrow night, I think it's going to look a lot like games three and four. That's it's, my concern. It's going to feel like the Nuggets have chance after chance after chance. But every time they need a big shot, it goes in and out. And every time the Suns are up three or four, Kevin Durant or Devin Booker or Landry Shamit's hitting a three to extend the lead from four to seven. Like that that sort of just out of reach type feeling is how both games three and four felt. And I think the non-Jokic minutes will once again determine game six, like frankly they determine games three and four. And I would like to see a little bit of creativity because I think your point that you got away with it because you were at home yeah. makes sense. I'm not so sure you can get away with the same eight-man rotation on the road tomorrow night. And we'll get into it. We still got another 50 minutes here on the show. But no one wants to see a game seven. Because if Durant and Booker come in and shoot 80%, poof, your season's over. Exactly. And the other part of it, Will, is every series is different, right? Who you're going to face and what they're, you know, who are their best players. Like, all right, this is, this is Booker and Durant. They're more perimeter guys. You, you end up facing the Lakers, and it's, okay, it's AD down low, and it's uh, LeBron, and he's a big guy, or you face the Warriors. That's a completely different team of a bunch of guys who want to shoot threes. Like, you have to be able to adjust and figure out, okay, how do we best match up with them? How do we best defend? If all you do is roll out the same eight guys every single game, no matter who you're playing or what the situation is, like, man, you better have the best – the most versatile, the most Swiss Army knife eight guys of all time for that to work. At some point during a playoff run when you got to win 16 games, 
you're going to have to call on somebody to come in and fill kind of a role that you didn't anticipate based on what the other team is doing. And that's the part of it that I think they're, that they're missing. And, you know, to me, getting away with it, validates is one way to to look at it it also could potentially justify it which puts you in a in a realm where you're like well i'm not going to change and you get into a situation they're 2-2 against philly and they say in michael malone saying why would i change when i didn't change before it worked like that becomes a uh, your stubbornness gets gets reinforced and that can be a very dangerous thing okay but i want to make it clear that I'm not going to remember game five for the frustrating second quarter. You're not. I'm going to remember game five for a third quarter that I was terrified, James. And they came out and answered the bell in every single way possible in arguably their biggest quarter of the season. I agree with you. But, okay, if you roll out in the third quarter with your same starting five and your starting five takes charge and turns it into a blowout, how is that a great tactical move by the coach? I never claimed it was. Oh, I'm not saying you, but, like, that's a lot of the pushback I've gotten t- today and last night of, like, well, look at my – like, he did the exact same thing, and those guys bailed him out. He literally is the passenger on the back of the motorcycle at this point. Just don't lean too much. Just don't cause us to have an accident, and you're just along for the ride. That's gotten him to this point. It might get him to an NBA title. It might be. It might be, you know what, this starting five and Bruce Brown, those six are so good – that really you just need to stay out of the way and not tinker too much. That's not outside the realm of possibilities that that's the case. I just don't believe it is. I think at some point you're going to have to make an adjustment. You're going to have to be a little tactical. You're going to have to find the one guy to put in there, kind of like Monty Williams did to get his team back in this series. And we've seen zero evidence that Michael Malone is able to do that. Through how many playoff games do we watch now? Ten? Ten. Five in each series. That's a, that's a little bit of a worry for me, and that's not me picking on Michael Malone. I know people will take it as that way, but, man, at some point, you have to try something else when, again, last night, the same problems that we saw in Game 3 and Game 4, they were there last night in the second quarter. It's just that the starters bailed them out in the third quarter, and then it became a non-issue. So to act like the problems solved themselves, I think, is kind of – it's missing the boat, and it's being blinded by the fact that they got to win. Some food for thought for sure. Coming up next, we're going to bounce around the Denver sports scene because guess what? We're less than 24 hours from knowing the Broncos' schedule. They also cut a local kid today. And don't look now, but the Colorado Rockies are red hot. All right, not just the Nuggets going on in Denver sports right now. Got some Broncos news today, and we'll have big news tomorrow night. James, you and I will be on... Six to seven tomorrow night. We'll sprinkle in a little bit of nuggets, but man, we're going to have a fun hour reacting to the Broncos' schedule. You looking forward to that? Oh, I can't wait. Like, and we talked about it a couple of nights ago. It is one of my favorite days on the sports calendar because it maps out what we're all going to be doing, at least those of us who are Broncos fans, for 18 weeks from. You know, the first part of September through the new year, hey, this is kind of the, the benchmarks and the and the posts that we're going to move around. So, yeah, man, I'm, ex- I'm excited about it. I can't wait. We'll, you know, we'll do all the silly stuff of win-loss and try to figure out, you know, how it's going to go. But there are some things we can glean tomorrow from it, right? Like, you can look at it and say, wow, it's a tough start. They play three of the first four on the road. Or, hey, that's a nice finish that... You know, got a bunch of home games, so if they can have a pretty good record at the bye or whatever the case may be, like there are some actual things you can uh, you can dissect from it. So yeah, man, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Six to seven, right here on the fan. James and I will have that schedule right My at map to twelve and five. There you go. I like That's it. That's what it is. We'll have that schedule right at six o'clock. Uh, so make sure you're tuned in. We'll bring it to you. We'll have it at DenverSports.com. All of that. Um, real quick, I sent you guys my prediction, which I'm not going to run through my 18-game schedule prediction. No one cares. I but, liked it. But I do think, James, my opener, I think the NFL is going to punish the Broncos for putting them through so many primetime duds last year, and they're going to put them in the most anonymous opener possible. I've got the Denver Broncos starting the season in Houston against the Texans. I can see that argument. And, look, that's not a bad draw for the Broncos. If you're going to go down there, you want to get D'Amico Ryans in his first game. You want to get C.J. Shroud in his first game. Like, would I rather play the Texans week one or week 18? Sign me up for week one. I think that's a that's a 90% win at that point. I do think, though, I'm on the other side of it. I think the league is going to look at it and say, 
there's some cachet in Sean Payton. There's still a little bit of cachet in Russell Wilson. And what will he be with Sean Payton as his coach? The Broncos are going to be interesting out of the gate. Almost guaranteed. There's no guarantee the Broncos are remotely interesting from week 10 through 18. Definitely not. So I think if you're going to if you're going to do anything with them that is, you know, prime time or the only the only game in that time slot, I think it's going to be heavy in the first half of the season, which we actually saw last year. If you go back and look through it, like, you know, they had the Monday night opener, they played the Niners on a, a, a night game. They played the, the Colts on a, on a Thursday night game. They had the London game. All that was before the bye. The vast majority of their appearances. You're missing Chargers Monday night, too. Yeah, Chargers Monday night, right. Like, they had the Christmas game late, but most of it was early because it was like, hey, let's try and tap into this while, while they're somewhat interesting. The game turned out to be stinkers, but the storylines were still there. And if you're the NFL, if you're just the marketing guy and you're trying to sell storylines, I don't know that you look at those as misses as much as we do because we look at the 11-10 win over San Francisco and be like, oh, my God, that was terrible football. Storylines going into the game, audience watching the game, I don't think they were near the disaster that people think. All right, the uh, Broncos today did make a minor move. Jacob Martin, the local kid, Cherokee Trail High School, has been cut. The Broncos save about $3.8 million in cap space. They will still owe him a million bucks He's an edge rusher, James. Outside linebacker, 16 sacks in his career. Had one last year with Denver. A little bit surprising to me he can't even make it to, to camp. I know they got to start making room on the 90-man roster for some of these undrafted free agents, but this one kind of came out of left field, although I'm not going to say no to $3.8 million in cap space. No, it's a, it's a big number. He's a guy that, you know, he was fine last year. He had a couple of moments, right? But if you start looking at him compared to the other people at that position, did did he have more moments than Jonathan Cooper or even Nick Benito or some of the other names? No, he didn't. Now he's a veteran. You may trust him a little bit more. I, would I have liked to seen what he could do in that rotation? Sure, because I think the Broncos are thin at that spot because Randy Gregory is never healthy. And I know that sounds like an overstatement, but it's tough to argue at this point. Baron Browning is promising but still unknown. I would want to have as many people in that mix, Will, as possible. And I think he would have been a good he, – he's as good as some of the other guys still in the mix, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So the number is what didn't work there. It's like, okay, but, man, I, I'm kind of looking at it of you got to throw eight names at the wall and hope three or four of them stick. And I think he was as good of a name as some of those guys that are right now five, six, or seven. So it's a little bit of a surprise from that standpoint. Well, and I'm kind of hoping this $3.8 million means something exciting is coming, right? Well, yeah, you're, you're freeing it up for something. Like, right? is Kareem Hunt on line one? You know, like, I, I, I don't know. But, like, to me, to just cut this guy on May 10th, when I think he would have been a borderline roster guy come training camp, there's got to be some rhyme or reason to it. If it was just Nathaniel Hackett, I think this is random. But I think Sean Payton has proved he's smart enough that if he needs the $3.8 million in cap space today, James, something's coming. And that doesn't mean it's coming tomorrow, but something significant. I would like to think Sean Payton is smart enough. He's not just doing this just to do it. He's doing it because he's got something else planned. It's the you first make, domino to fall. No, you make a very good point, right? Because uh, Jacob Martin didn't become a worse player between February 1st and now. Right? Like nothing changed. And if you wanted to free up cap space, like the three point eight million is a big number, but you would have you would have freed that up before free agency. You would have wanted that money. So to do it now, and you also would have known heading into the draft and all the rest of it, you know what your your allotment is gonna be for your picks and your uh, you know, undrafted free agents. Like you know what you have to kinda, you know, earmark for that. So to make the move now does tell you we would rather assign that money, that cap figure to player X that isn't currently on the roster. Otherwise, why didn't you do this three months ago? Yeah, and they, he always gets, you know, a gold star because he's a local kid. We always are rooting for the local kids, but Philip Lindsay got the same gold star. Dalton Reisner, same gold star. Back in the day, Bradley Van Pelt, same gold yep. star. Uh, Jake Martin, I think it's Jake, actually. I think I called him Jacob, but apparently he's going by Jake. Cherokee Trail guys, shout out them out there in Aurora. All right, coming up next, Andrew Mason broke down the schedule in terms of what games are most likely to be in prime time and which ones have no shot? Ah, uh, yes, yeah, some bonus Denver sports tonight. We'll be with you for another half hour or so. 
Headed into Lakers and Warriors game five out in Golden State, San Francisco area. He's James Merrillat. I'm Will Peterson. All right, James. Schedule comes out in 23 hours. Andrew Mason did a fun exercise. He ranked the Broncos games by potential prime time appeal. You ready for this? Yeah, I like this. This is a great concept, by the way. Because, like, I'll just start with the the most appeal and the least appeal, okay? Or, or do you want to guess? Out of the 17 games, which one do you think may said that's got to be number one if the network executives are going to put it on, you know, an NBC Sunday Night Football or an ESPN Monday Night Football or, or even an Amazon Prime Thursday Night Football this is the opponent that makes the most sense for the Broncos to play. I'm a storyline guy, so that's going to skew my answers on both ends of the spectrum. But I think the, the juiciest story for the Broncos' uh, schedule this season is the Jets. It's Aaron Rodgers coming in. It's uh, against Russell Wilson. It's the two quarterbacks, the two marquee quarterbacks who've moved each of the last two offseasons. It's Nathaniel Hackett's return to Denver I think it's got to be Jets. It's at the top of the list. And I think at the bottom of just like, man, what is the storyline? I think it's the game you talked about. It's your your favorite to be week one. I think it's at the Texans. So those are my those are my uh, two ends of the spectrum. Those are my bookends. You and Mace talk about this? No, I haven't seen the article. You nailed number one and you nailed number 17. Congratulations. Okay. Well All done. Right. So he had the same, I assume he had the same philosophy or we got to the same answer through a different, uh, a, a different thought process, but that, that, that's my rationale for it. Yeah. I mean, Jets at Broncos, he says, listen, Nathaniel Hackett's returned to Denver with Aaron Rodgers, his old friend now facing the team that long appeared poised to acquire him via trade before the Packers balked. There wouldn't be a more delicious opening to the entire season than this game on the second Monday of September. Well, and that's the other part of it. I didn't mention, and Mace touched on it, like for two off seasons, the Broncos thought they were going to get Aaron Rodgers. Like we, you know, it was the year before when Sink said the deal was good to go. Clearly there was some smoke to that fire, right? And then last year, you remember, we were we were sitting there and Rodgers announced he's going back to the Packers and we're all down. And then, you know, an hour later, they trade for Russell Wilson. Aaron Rodgers was plan A for George Payton yes. for two off seasons. So that adds an element to it as well. Uh, Broncos, Texans, Mace, I won't read it, but he basically says, hey, that could have been a Thursday night game if the NFL was still doing the everyone has to play a Thursday night game. But because they're no longer doing that, there's just no real juice here. Maybe D'Amico Ryans, who the Broncos sort of flirted with, but Broncos, Texans, James, let's just call it what it is. There is 0% chance that's going to be a primetime game this year. That's a 205 Spiro DDs game. Well, that's an 11 a.m. They'll they'll put Houston in that early slot, you right? Think so, I guess, because it's an hour later, so it's a noon kickoff in, in Houston. Oh, man. Yeah. That's brutal. Yeah, that'll be a... Uh, That's one where you and I, I guarantee you, we're going to be ticked that we don't get to watch Red Zones because we're watching the Broncos and the Texans at 11. Yeah, half full NRG Stadium. Uh, good thing they have a roof down there, though, at, at NRG. <laughs> that'll be uh, nice and covered for the fans down in Houston. Uh, some other ones here, James, that Mace puts on his list high is, is chance to be primetime. Number two, he goes Chiefs at Broncos. Oh, both the Chiefs games, I think, have... There's some validity there, sure. Yeah, and obviously that was supposed to be a Sunday Night Football tussle last year. Yeah. But the Broncos were so bad. I mean, think about that, James. We don't talk about that enough. The Broncos were so bad that these network executives sat in a boardroom and said, we have to flex Patrick Mahomes out of primetime. Well, and if you think about it, and it's it's not every game, obviously, that can be flexed, but let's say, say it's six. If we just sat down last year when the schedule came out and said, all right, let's rank the six Sunday night games that could be flexed, what's most likely? Patrick Mahomes versus Russell Wilson probably would have been last. Like, it's hard to imagine that not being a good enough game that you would just keep it there. Oh, if, right? we, had a, if we had a time machine to nine months ago, we'd, yeah. we'd, be, we'd be shocked. And it's the eventual Super Bowl champs. Right. So we <laughs> clearly we know why that game was flexed out and, and who the problem was, but... I think still, if you're just looking at it, and I'm on the more optimistic side of it, I get it. I think Russell Wilson's going to have a big-time bounce-back year. And let's use D-Mac as the other side of it. He thinks Russell Wilson was the problem. I think no matter where you kind of land on that, if you're a studio executive, or not studio, if you're a network executive, you have to look at it, and you're still saying, all right, it's Russell Wilson, it's Patrick Mahomes. Let's pick one of those two games as probably being – 
you know, kind of spicy enough, we want to make sure there's a lot of eyeballs on it. Well, and Mace puts Broncos and Chiefs all the way at number nine on his list, James. And his, Chiefs? Yeah, Chiefs. And his rationale yeah. is that is six of the Broncos' last nine trips to Kansas City have landed in primetime, but four of them were decided by multiple scores. It seems like the Broncos' home half of this series is the better bet, uh, according to Andrew Mason. I agree with him. Yeah. That they don't want the Broncos in Arrowhead losing – Thirty-four to ten. That doesn't that doesn't really move the needle for them. No, the the Chiefs are clearly the better team. So having it in Denver makes it a slightly more even matchup. It's still obviously a uh, the Chiefs will be a favorite, but yeah, it's a it's a three or four point line in Denver. It's a touchdown plus in Kansas City. His number three one may surprise you. Uh, do you have a sneaky game on this schedule that Mace wants to see in prime time? I'm going to go Detroit. I think that's a really interesting game. I think Detroit's, in my mind, they're a favorite to win that division. And I don't know if he's considering Thanksgiving Day as a primetime slot. I think it is. So I'm going to go the Lions. I'm convinced you read this article. (laughs) I have not. I have not. Uh, Mace does rank Broncos at Lions at number three, and he says, quote, if you unpack this game, it bleeds storylines. None richer than the student versus mentor coaching duel between Dan Campbell and Sean Payton. And okay. if it and if it lands on Thanksgiving Day, so much the better. Ratings have shown that NFL fans will watch on that holiday no matter who plays. Well, and even if both those teams are bad, like we've seen this a little bit on Thursday night games over the years. Like sometimes the matchup between two bad teams makes for a compelling game. Right, if it's the only one on, and it's like, all right, they're they're at least evenly matched, and you end up with, you know, twenty eight, twenty four, and it comes down to the wire. I, I think that's a sellable game on Thanksgiving morning. I think it's two teams you don't get to see face each other very often, so it's not like you're watching Lions Bears, Lions Packers. Like, how many times do we feel like we've all seen that? Lions-Broncos at least has a little bit of a different look and feel to it. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good one. Right. So it's a, Aaron Glenn was a guy that the Broncos interviewed for the coaching job with yep. hired Nathaniel Hackett. That's a deep dive for a storyline, but it's in there. But test your memory. What was the big storyline the last time the Broncos were in Detroit? The last time they were in Detroit... Boy, I think it was – did Peyton hit uh, Demarius down the right sideline on a long touchdown pass? Bingo. We're envisioning the exact same play, and I yeah. want to say, James, that was right before halftime. It I, was I like you're right. it 30 seconds of, oh. left, and they're trying to get in a field goal range, yep. and Demarius, you know, late great Demarius Thomas – just shows what DT could do. He just creates space, and rather than, hey, I'm going to get tackled at the 25 so that Brandon McManus can come out, he just stiff arms the defender of the way and all the way into the end zone. Yeah, it was was one of those where if you're, you know, pro quarterback, you're saying – Oh, yeah, backside, back shoulder. That was an intentionally underthrown ball. If you're looking at it as a receiver, you're like, yeah, it was a poorly thrown ball that he went and made a play. I also think, and I don't know why this sticks out to me well, I think DT got flagged for taunting on that, for backpedaling into the end zone. Mm, he may have. He may have. We that, know. Was the, that was the difference in the game, right? Like, it made a close game kind of a, all right, you're up two scores, and the Broncos ran away with it, but that was part of that championship year. And I want to say that was a Sunday night football game, James. I want to say it was a primetime game. Sunday night? believe it was a Sunday night football game. That's the draw of Peyton Manning. I'll take a look during the break. I'll take your word for it. I don't remember that part of it, but, man, I remember that play distinctly, and it's the only play from that game I remember. Uh, Number four, he has Broncos at Dolphins. Obviously, the Mike McDaniel grew up in Colorado, the Bradley Chubb. I mean, that's that's another interesting one, but to me, like, we're kind of getting to the point in Mace's list, and this is no disrespect to Mace, but James Broncos at Dolphins just doesn't scream sexy to me. Like and that's, that, that's number four. And that's number four. They're not sitting around, you know, the boardroom at NBC going, "Oh, we got to get Broncos Dolphins here." Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those you don't see that matchup a ton. It's a little bit like the Lions game, right? Of all right, it's two teams that have rich histories, and you know, does it look good on the marquee? Maybe it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good movie because it has Harrison Ford and Sylvester Stallone in it, but it kind of looks decent. So, yeah, I mean, I could I could see that. I kind of thought that might be. I think you and I talked about it last night or or Monday that it might be the 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 Christmas night Monday night game that has now gone by the wayside. It feels like you kind of want to put it in a good spot, but not maybe one of those like oh yeah that's that's the the top spot. So. 
Okay, I can see it, but I think that tells you a lot about the Broncos that that's number four. I, I would put I would put some of the matchups with the Chargers and Justin Herbert and the the star power of of L A ahead of the Miami game. All right, well you can read Mace's full list at denversports.com. A really interesting read, a deep dive by Mace, and we'll we'll know it all in about twenty two and a half hours. James and I will have your schedule release show tomorrow night at six here on the Fan. But coming up next, we're going to put a bow on the Nuggets conversation. The Suns, two key folks on their injury report, and the Nuggets injury report, well, it just dropped. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Final segment of the show. It's fun to be hanging out a little late. Weather is pretty much cleared out, at least down here at uh, the fan studios, I-25 in Orchard. You know what, James? There was actually some some nasty weather I saw around the state today. I I know. I know, and I'm not trying to make light of it. But I also think, you know, the front-range-wide panic attack was probably unnecessary. I meant to ask you, though, dude. Like, I know you're up north. There was some gnarly hail up there last night. Did you guys get hit with that? No. Well, not that I'm aware of, but it, it, it's uh, it's interesting you ask that because I always say I'm in Erie because I'm much closer to Erie than I'm what I feel is Broomfield. Like, Broomfield for me is like where Broomfield High School is and, you know, kind of the old school 120th and, you know, U.S. 36 kind of area. I'm way north, but it's technically Broomfield. And I got – we had nothing, but driving – a little bit north today, like a couple of miles, and it looked like it snowed last night. There was so much hail, so uh, we we just uh, we just dodged it. I mean, it, it was kind of scary because there was pictures on Twitter this morning of people who the the back of their car, the window, the rear view window, like had holes in it the size of tennis balls because hail just punctured it. Like there yeah. was there was some there wasn't like oh we got a little quarter size hail or whatever. There was legitimately baseball-sized hail up north last night. Well, and it was kind of the, the conversation, the old scuttlebutt around the, uh, you know, the water cooler as I was going around different places this morning and hearing about it, like, who, who you know, who got what? So, no, it, it was certainly in patches up here. It was uh, it was bad. All right. Well, we uh, hope everyone's our weather breakdown for doing all right. Yeah, and if, you, you know, <laughs> if you're stuck in traffic, hopefully we entertained you the last hour and 20 minutes or so. But... James, the uh, Suns injury report is out. We we hit on it at the, the top of the show. Chris Paul is out for game six, which I think is interesting that, you know, they didn't even list him as questionable, even give him a shot to get out there. And DeAndre Ayton is questionable. Obviously, coming into this series, we said, hey, the Suns have four great players. Well, two of the four are both on the injury report tomorrow night. One is out. One is questionable. And then the Nuggets injury report just dropped, James, and it's what we expected. But listen. No one's on it, so first of all, I'm not going to leave anyone hanging. No one on the injury report, so that's good news. But, like, Jamal Murray was flexing his wrist and playing with his ankle, and we've seen Aaron Gordon beat up. It just kind of is a good feeling, like, okay, for years and years, health has been the issue. They are going into a closeout game tomorrow night against one of the title favorites, and everyone's healthy. That's a nice sigh of relief. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And, and again, and I'm the first to admit this, is I look at everything with the Nuggets through the lens of a fatalistic Nuggets fan. And this goes back to the late 70s when David Thompson's falling down the stairs at Studio 54 and tearing up his knee, right? And I could I could rattle off the 20 other examples since then of anything that could go wrong would go wrong. And so it's hard for me as a long-suffering Nuggets fan to not look at this will and say, man, they're the number one seed. They have the, the number one player in the league number two at worst, right? Like, they have this this roster of max players, and what's going to go wrong? And so far, knock on wood, nothing has. They've remained healthy. Things have actually broke pretty well, where not only did they get the one seed, but they played the eight, the four, they could potentially play the seven, and it ain't outside the realm of possibilities in the NBA final. They play the eight seed from the east. Like, that is very non-Nuggets-esque for things to fall that direction. So the fact that they're going into a game trying to eliminate who may turn out to be their toughest opponent, we may look back, Will, you and I might be standing at the parade and say, you know what, the Suns were their toughest opponent. That's not a crazy notion, so they have a chance to knock them out tomorrow night and everybody's healthy. That's a great sign. Well, and James, this is round two. 
You know one of my biggest things from the Avs Cup run last year was that their toughest opponent was in round two. I have a lot of respect for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I do. But I was much more nervous in the St. Louis series than I was the Tampa Bay series. I maintain that the the Avalanche's toughest test was in round two, so I think your point is well taken because we literally just saw that a year ago with our other championship team that that sometimes the toughest matchups aren't always the last ones. You never know when you're going to get them, and you're right. We very well could say in a month, hey, the Suns was their toughest matchup because, James, I, I pointed this out the other night. Like, I understand there's a bracket and we got to follow the bracket, but it is a joke that two of the best teams in the NBA are playing in the quarterfinals, the Elite Eight, whatever you want to call it, and the Knicks and the Heat are playing in the same series. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, like, that's, been... that's unfair to Denver and Phoenix. Well, no doubt. But if you've been paying attention, if you just try to look at it as a casual fan, right? Like, I think we've all been following three series. Obviously, we're following Nuggets, Suns more than anything else. But we're, Lakers and Warriors is super compelling. Celtics Sixers, super compelling. You have to stop for a minute to think what the other series is. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, it's Nick's Heat. Like, that's brutal. I was telling Zach by this the other day when I saw him at the office of like going from watching Nuggets Suns to watching Knicks and Heat. It's like watching a middle school game. Like, their offense is so bad. They can't shoot the ball. They miss wide open jumpers. The other night, at one point, I think in the fourth quarter, the Heat were 0 for 6 and the Knicks were 0 for 5. It's just like, oh, my God, this is, this is a game of, like, who can make a basket where some of those games down in Phoenix, it was the, the team that's going to lose is the first team to miss three or four shots in the fourth quarter. Such a contrast. That's such a bad series. It, it, it's a little bit, though, like the all-NBA argument of, like, this year, if you just look at it, does it make a compelling case for reseeding? It does. But I don't know if we looked at it over the course of a 20-year span. I, my guess is 15, 16 years. It's like, yeah, it all kind of worked out the way it should have. This year, it's a it's a clear uh, example of, boy, those are two teams that neither one of those teams should be in the Eastern Conference Finals. But the Heat, the Heat with Jimmy Butler, the Heat could surprise people and actually make it to the NBA Finals. Yeah, but you're kind of making my point for me. Like, the, the fact that the winner of this series earns the same prize as the winner of the Nuggets and Suns series is a little silly to me. No, no doubt. And the the fact that either the Celtics or the Sixers aren't going to go as far as either, as most likely the Heat is kind of a joke. Like, yeah, the, the, the Celtics and Sixers should have been the Eastern Conference Finals, or you can make a case of, all right, it should have been, you know, the, the Bucks in one of those teams. But, hey, that's what happens when the number one seed gets upset. It, it throws everything, uh, you know, upsets the apple cart, but that happens. It's the rare exception. Really, it should be, all right, the Bucks right now are eliminating the Knicks, and it's going to be Bucks versus Celtics Sixers winner, and then none of us would be having this conversation. None of us would be saying it should be reseeded. I mean, that's the old cliche. That's why they play the games, right, James? So No doubt. That's um, why coaches get fired in Milwaukee. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to kill your dream of the Heat in the NBA Finals, but I will provide a quick update here that they are leading, excuse me, they are trailing, trailing the Knicks by 10 after three quarters, so almost certainly looks like that one will at least go six. So let's talk about Lakers-Warriors tonight because I I think there's two ways to look at this, James. First of all, and this is the game we're leading into here in just a few minutes on the fan, I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you'd rather play L.A. than Golden State. We we don't need to reset that conversation. Yes. But I do think now, James, it gets really interesting because do you want the Lakers to get the rest or would you rather they lose tonight, extend them further, make LeBron, AD, uh, LeBron's older, AD's body is brittle, make them play more games? Or do you think... Man, you're playing with fire, giving the Warriors an ounce of life. So if the Lakers can just finish them off tonight, that's fine by us. I think both schools of thought are valid. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think if you made me pick, I would say just let the Lakers win tonight and just go ahead and drive the stake through the heart of the defending champs, right? Like, we talked about it last night, the, the Steve Kerr's record in the in the playoffs. Every time they make the playoffs during his tenure, they get to the finals. They've won four titles, like... As soon as you can eliminate that team, great. Because rest could be a benefit to the Lakers. You can also make the argument, all right, they're the Rockies in 2007 and they get rusty. Like, we have no idea. It could go either way. So I, I would be in favor of eliminating the Warriors if you're asking me as a Nuggets fan. I just don't think that series is over by any means. I mean, there's three games remaining. I get it. The Warriors have to go 3-0. and But two of the three are at Chase Center. Yep. 
they at the beginning once they lost home court it's like hey you got to go to LA and win a game they had no shot in game 3 they had a great chance in game 4 could they go down and win one in game 6 of course they could so i don't think they're dead by any means so yeah the, the longer the lakers let them hang around the more the, the greater the chances obviously that it's nuggets warriors in the western conference finals well and honestly man like we could watch the end of the dynasty tonight right yeah. If the yeah. Warriors lose tonight, this could sort of be the, hey, we don't know how much longer Steve Kerr wants to do this. We don't know how much longer they can afford everyone because their owner, owner is paying this ridiculous luxury tax. We live more and more in the era of sports where guys don't play their whole careers with one team. Steph could move on. Clay could move on. Draymond could move on. Like tonight really could be the end of the Warriors as we know it. And if you're a Nuggets fan, that ultimately would be a good thing. No, it definitely would be. And look, they've been in the Western Conference. They've knocked the Nuggets out a couple of times. So I have no, there's no love loss for the Warriors. But if you're just looking at it from a sports fan perspective, that is one of the best dynasties any of us will see in our lifetime. So if they do lose tonight, it's a little bit of a tip of the cap of that was a heck of a run. All right. Well, you'll find out next right here on The Fan. For KJ, for James, I'm Will. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan.